And now here's Tim. <laughs> you can leave it in. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Thank you, ma'am. Good, good morning, TVA. Happy Father's Day. Um, Rick, you told me she was going to call your name, and I was supposed to act surprised. Y'all thought that was a joke. Uh, we have our uh, just we have our kids back. We have our kids back from youth. So let's give them a big hand. They had a great week. It is it is early after a 13-hour drive, 14-hour drive. So we just have a couple of them here. Nicole, Grace, Mary Beth, where's she at? All right. It's good to see everybody. My name is Tim Parker, and I'm one of the men's ministry leaders here at TBA. Dads, it's Father's Day. Father's Day. Have you been blessed this morning by your children? All month we've been in the sermon series, Soul Detox. Dave has talked about the restless soul. Brian Stiverson has talked about the heavy soul. And this morning I get to talk about the tortured soul. What better day to talk about the tortured soul than Father's Day? Right, dads? Again, I'm not sure how I wind up with these topics. Before I get into the talk today, I ran across a video that I wondered if this was a picture of how our pastor's souls are tortured. It's pretty quick. Please watch this. Brian, is that what you want to say when you get up here? <laughs> I have been watching that for weeks, laughing every time. I was hoping I could work it in today. <clears throat> so if I asked the question, what tortures you, what would your answer be? Would it be, will I get a great job? Will I get married? Will I have kids? If I have kids, will they be healthy? If I have kids, will I be a good enough parent? Moms and dads, this year did you get either the greatest dad or mom trophy? The best 
dad or mom t-shirt. Dad's a loud tie. Mom's a breakfast of salad, eggs, cereal, maybe a bell pepper, along with coffee, juice, and Coke all mixed together. Well, if you did, you no longer need to torture yourself on that one. You made it as a good parent. Since being given the topic, I've been going through the types of things that have tortured my soul over the years. I've come to realize I have, have, had, and have still quite a few of them. The thing that I want everyone to know up front before we dig into this is that we are all broken people in different stages of our walk. So do not get discouraged by this talk, as it should speak to the heart of everyone at some point in their journey. The point of this talk is to put action to making moves away from the things that are torturing you or understanding that there can be healing from something that is torturing you. Some of you may realize you're not on the path yet, and that's okay. Be encouraged because we serve a God who wants you on the path moving towards him. And there are a lot of people here this morning that want to help you get started on that path. Some of you are just getting on the path and hopefully seeing that the direction that you've been walking is the direction that you should be running to. Doesn't it excite you to know that there's a father that loves you more than anything in the world waiting for you at the end of that path? Some of you are miles down the path, and although just as broken as the rest of us, you realize your importance and your role in the kingdom of sharing experiences and the love of God that you have received yourself and have accepted the mission of going out and making disciples of all nations. I pray that if this is you and you have not moved into that role here, that you will step into that role of mentorship in the church. You are needed. There are some here today that are tortured about the things that you've done. These things are called the sins of commission. A sin of commission is a sin that we take action to commit, whether in thought, word, or deed. A sin of commission can be intentional or unintentional. Just so happens that humanity's first sin was a sin of commission. God forbade the eating of a certain fruit in Genesis 2, 16 through 17. This is how it reads, And the Lord God commanded them, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what do they do? Do they stay away from it? No. They go and they eat the fruit. Adam and Eve knew God's command and disobeyed anyway. They took action to commit a sinful act. When King David committed adultery and then had Uriah killed to cover it up, both of those were sins of commission. The Bible does not hide the, often, the too often sordid details of the lives of people he loves and used anyway. Its pages are peppered with sins of commission by great leaders such as Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, Peter, even Paul. 
Paul says in Galatians 1.13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. These types of sins can be as big and hated as murder, all the way to something commonly found in all of us, such as greed, lust, anger, words that we use, gossip. The list goes on and on and on and touches each of us at some point in our lives. Sometimes these things affect us multiple times in our lifetime. This is one of, if not the key reason that we need Jesus. We cannot stop ourselves from sinning. And by sinning, we eliminate any hope of connecting with a holy God. Or maybe you're tortured by the things that you've not done. These are sins of omission, sins of omission. A sin of omission is a sin that res- that are sins that are a result of not doing something that God's Word teaches us we should do. James 4.17 says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. How often do you say no to God? A sin of omission is generally used in contrast with corresponding phrase of the sin of commission. As I explained earlier, these are sins that are Uh, that you personally, actively commit. Paul contrasts the two concepts in Romans 7, 14 through 20, where he says, Paul, I I do what I don't want to do, and I know is wrong. That's the sin of commission. And I don't do what I know I should do, and I really want to do, the sin of omission. In the New Testament, the classic example of a sin of omission is given by Jesus in the account of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, 30-37 reads, After a man had been beaten and left in need of help, the first two men to pass by, a priest and a Levite. A priest and a Levite, both of whom knew what they should do, but they failed to act. The third man, a Samaritan, stopped to show compassion to the man in need. Jesus, Jesus used this example to teach that we are to help those in need. By doing so, he clearly communicated that it is sinful to avoid doing good. Just as it is sinful to pursue what is evil. Other things that we know we are supposed to do and usually justify right out of our lives, not tithing your time, your talents, your treasures. This was something I always thought, if I just did one of them, I didn't have to do the others. How about you? Have you been there? Not being the salt and light in this world. Not following God's call on our lives. Are you showing the love of Christ in your family? Are you showing it in the church? Are you showing it in your workplace? In your neighborhood? What is the vision of TBA? We are living sent as the hands and feet of Jesus in order to impact our community and the world around us for Christ. How can we fulfill the vision if we are not being salt and light in the world? Not spending time with God in prayer. The list goes on and on and on. James 1.22 says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, 
Prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. The last one I have to talk about is a big one. It's a game changer. It takes the first two and changes the sting that we feel from them into a driving force that changes our lives. There are some here this morning that are tortured about salvation. Salvation refers to the act of God's grace in delivering His people from bondage from, to sin and condemnation, transferring them to the kingdom of His beloved Son and giving them eternal life, all on the basis of what Christ accomplished, what Christ accomplished in His atoning sacrifice. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. There is nothing you can buy. There is nothing you can make. There is no other gift in all of this world that compares to this one. None. This takes us from death to life in an instant. And all it takes is for us to believe. So why should we be tortured about that? Sounds pretty good, right? So we just have to believe? Believe what? To believe in Jesus? Is that all it takes? I can remember growing up in an amazing, loving home, but we did not go to church. I would have been quick to say that I was a Christian all of my life. I would have even said that I had a strong belief in God and Jesus. I said the prayer every chance it was offered. Why did I do this over and over again? My mindset in saying the prayer again and again and again and again was this. Okay, let me do this again just in case I didn't do it right the last time. Eric and I have talked about this. The way that I looked at attaining the gift always left a question in my mind. I was still trying to do something right, and that's not the point. I could never do it right enough. I could never say it right enough. And I'm sure that that was why it was torturing my soul every time the opportunity came up to accept the gift. It was God telling me, you've not truly believed right up until the last time that I prayed for it. Brian Legg, a few weeks back, talked about John 3.16 and the Greek word believe that is used in that Scripture. Everyone knows the Scripture, right? It's John 3.16. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever, tr- whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Pistio is the Greek word for believe that's used there in that scripture. And it means not just believe, it means to trust. It means to faithfully believe. In the scripture it says, Believe in Him, for whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's change it up just a little bit. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever trusts in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
There are a lot of people, there are a lot of people that believe in Jesus. There are a lot of other things that believe in Jesus. James 2.19 says, You believe that there is one God. Good. But even the believing, even the demons believe that and shudder. Even the demons know who he is. And they fear him as the Son of God. You know, if, if Satan was to walk in to our church today and come down front and say, Hey, I'd like... I'd like to be a member. I'd like to be a member of your church. Okay, let me ask you a few questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, He's the Son of God. Everyone knows that. Okay, good. Do you believe that Jesus died on a cross? Oh, yes, definitely. I was there. I saw the blood. I saw the spikes in his hands. I saw the spear wound in his side. Oh, yes, absolutely. I believe he died on the cross. Okay. How about this? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Resurrected? No doubt in my mind. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I watched it all happen. You should have seen the smile on their faces when they realized it was true. Okay, well, you seem to believe all the, thing, the same things that we do. I have just one last question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And do you trust him with all that you are and all that you have? No way. <laughs> Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? I, I can't do that. How many of you are saying that? I can't do that. I can't trust him with everything. When we would say we believe in Jesus, we are essentially saying that we trust Jesus with our very souls. Believing in Jesus means we have given ourselves over to his loving care. It means we have studied his word, begged for his guidance, and looked to him in both good times and bad for words of assurance, love, and forgiveness. How many of you are saying that you believe? How many of you are saying, I believe in you, but I refuse to trust you with my life? Is that something that tortures you? If that does torture you, know that it does not need to be that way. There is no one else that you can trust more than Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. And he doesn't want you to be tortured about this. After I put my trust in him, it changed my life forever. It changed the way that I looked at things. It changed priorities in my life. I'm just beginning to scratch the surface of my walk and I still fail every day. Ask Joni and the boys. It takes my focus daily to intentionally do what God has asked me to do or not do. If you'd like to catch up with me sometime, I would love to share my story. As I began to dig into this more, I started to think where I thought the tortured soul, I wasn't really looking forward to talking about that. I thought this is a great topic, even an uplifting one. We all know that God's original plan was not this, to live in a world so broken. So many evil things happening, so many things that either take our mind off God or maybe even question His existence. Do these thoughts creep into your mind? 
Do these thoughts invade your day? Do they torture your soul with doubts? Is it secure? Have I done all of the things that I should do? When I said the prayer, did I do it right? Has anyone else ever felt that way? What tortures our souls? No matter what the answer is, I think it would all start here. What tortures our souls is we're tortured by the things we've done. Is that safe to say? That things that plague us are things that we've done in our past or are still doing. Psalm 38, 3-4 says, My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. This is David talking, King David here. It's, and he's, he's full of grief and complaint from the beginning to the end. David's sins and his afflictions are the cause of his grief and the matter of his complaints. His soul is being tortured. It should seem he was now sick and in pain, which reminded him of his sins and helped to humble him for them. At the same time, deserted by his friends and persecuted by his enemies, so that the psalm is calculated for the depth of its distress and complication of calamities. If you are tortured by the things you've done, remember this, just as King David did. We are healed by the things God's done. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were what still sinners Christ died for us. And then the all-important verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you have made the choice to trust Christ with your life, then do not torture yourself with the past. Don't do it. You don't have to. The blood of Jesus covers everything. It covers it all. The next thing that we're probably tortured about, we're tortured by Satan's lies that we believe. We're tortured by Satan's lies that we believe. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I believe that prior to turning my life over to Christ, Satan's lies were these. You've said the prayer, now go live your life. Just like you always have. No worries. Do whatever you want to do. You're secure, right? Once you trust your, your life to Christ, I believe his lies change to this. You're not good enough. You fail all the time. God could never love someone like you. God can never forgive you for that. Why do we let Satan put limits on what God can do in our lives? Why do we think that the price that Christ paid is not enough? It is. His blood covers all. And you can trust in that. Maybe this is what you need to listen to. 
We are redeemed by God's truth in our lives. We are redeemed by God's truth. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. And this is my favorite. This is my favorite. And this should excite every one of us. This should make us jump with joy. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does that not excite you? Does it not make you happy? Does it not change everything? Nothing can separate us from God. Nothing. Once you are a son or a daughter of the king, you are forever a son and a daughter of the king. Live like you're a son and daughter of the king. It seems like others, knowing our sins, have tortured us as well. But it also has left us, it also has left us vulnerable at, at times to Satan's lies. So the next step to taking Satan's ability of speaking lies into our lives is for you to tell your soul... It's better to confess your sins than hide your sins. That one's a hard one, right? That one's tough. It's okay to say I'm to God, but don't let anybody else find out where I'm, where I'm at, where I stand in life. You see, he who conceals sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We are, cons we are called to confess our sins and repent Every day. Every day. Not every once in a while, not on Sundays when we're at church, we're called to confess our sins to God every day. Charles Stanley was once asked, why must we confess our sins if once we've done so, we are saved of the sins past, present, and future? It's not because we would have lost salvation I believe Romans 8, 38 through 39 answers that question. But he says, we confess because we have broken our relationship or our fellowship with God. We need that daily, daily fellowship with God, with our Heavenly Father, if we are going to walk in His light and live the life that He's called us to. So we confess to God for forgiveness of sins and to restore relationship or fellowship. We have to have that daily connection with God or it just doesn't feel right. I, um, I most closely link this back to uh, Joni and I whenever I was walking through probably one of the worst times of my life and I've shared with some of you about my addiction to tobacco um, and what that was doing in our life. It was creating uh, lies that I would tell Joni each day. It was creating a broken relationship 
between me and Joni each day. It was something that constantly tortured me inside. It was something that I just couldn't feel good about every day. It was something that I just couldn't seem to get past. It was something that always stood in the way of Joni and I growing. And I think that's a picture of what that broken relationship is with God. Joni and I could not get closer with that rift that was standing between us because lies are a sin. And I lied to Joni. And I think that's a picture of what we do whenever we sin and that relationship is broken between us and God. The next step in the process of confession of sin that God calls us to is we must confess to people for healing from sins. We must confess to people for healings from sins and also to gain accountability. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now I don't think that you should walk up to the next newcomer out in the lobby walking in the door and say, Hey, how you doing? My name's Tim. I'm a liar. I'm always angry. I struggle with forgiveness. <laughs> that probably weird some people out, don't you think? But we are supposed to build relationship within the church, accountability within the church. We have just started up groups called D-groups or discipleship groups. These are groups where our prayer is that mentoring and relationship are born, a safe place for people to talk about life and to share about tough times and maybe sins that they are dealing with and have those brothers or sisters pray for and encourage each other in the walk. These are going to be groups of three to five. It's going to be really tight-knit. They should be people that build a relationship. They should be people that build a bond of trust. If you want to find out more about that, please see me or Brian Stiverson at some point. We'd be happy to help get you connected. Band, if you could please come back up. Lastly, the last thing that you need to tell your soul or you need to tell yourself is that Christ will set you free. He will set you free of the tortured soul. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. He also said, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. 
By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. This morning, if your soul is tortured, but you're ready to find peace, and you need someone to pray with, as the band plays, please come down front and find one of the the pastors or prayer team members. We would all love to pray with you. Don't wait. Don't continue to be in pain. Don't continue to fear. Don't continue to let Satan lie to you. There is freedom from that torture in Christ. This morning, choose. Choose to live a life without torture through Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given us. Father, we thank you for the gift of no torture in our lives. For a gift of eternity spent with you, Father. With no pain, with no sickness, with nothing but happiness ahead of us, Father. We thank you for that gift. Father, today we thank you for those that are here that are in pain. And we pray that you touch their hearts, Father. We pray that you lift them up. We lift them up to you this morning, Father. We pray for anyone that is struggling with that, that they come forward. We would love to pray for them. Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and the price that he paid. And in Jesus' powerful and precious name we pray. Amen.